That intriguing music you just heard is from a piece called Millennium Canticles by Missy Mazzoli as performed by Third Coast Percussion on their new album on CD Records titled Between Breaths, and you certainly got to hear some of those breaths in that excerpt. It's an album that's been described as a musical exploration of meditation and escapism and is all world premiere recordings. And those of you who've listened before know that whenever we have a new release on CD, and this is our new album for September 2023, we have a new classical Chicago podcast. This is episode 65. I'm Jim Ginsburg, founder and president of CD Records. And my guest on this podcast is David Skidmore, one of the founding members of Third Coast Percussion. Hi, David. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. Well, my pleasure. Looking forward to this conversation. I should note that this album received major funding from Bonnie McGrath and Bruce Altman, plus additional gifts from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music and the Alice M. Ditson Fund of Columbia University. And this is how we are able to do things at CD as a nonprofit is through this kind of support. Before we talk about the album itself, let's talk about Third Coast Percussion, which is a Grammy Award-winning Chicago-based percussion quartet and Grammy-nominated composer collective. For over 15 years now, the ensemble has created exciting and unexpected performances that constantly redefine the classical music experience and garner consistently ecstatic reviews. Third Coast has commissioned and premiered new works by Philip Glass, Missy Mazzoli, Clarissa Saad, Gemma Peacock, Flutronics, Jaylin, Tyande Braxton, Augusta Reed Thomas, Devante Hines, among many, many others. The ensemble has an extensive discography on many labels. Between Breaths is Third Coast's sixth album for Sadie Records. Is there anything I should add as a highlight for Third Coast Percussion to that list, David? Well, I would add that we won a Grammy, as you mentioned, in 2017, and something we're particularly proud of is we're the first percussion ensemble to win a Grammy in the chamber music category, which meant a lot to us. And in fact, that was for Third Coast's Sadie debut album, All Music of Steve Reich, and you guys got to perform on the telecast. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed being there for that. David, between breaths, can you explain the impetus for creating this album and its theme? Sure. We started putting the album together in about 20 or 2021, and it naturally became a product of its time. I think we received Missy's piece in 2020, and so everything was still shut down, and it was a time of a lot of stress, a lot of uncertainty. And I think as a natural product of that, our minds started viewing all this music through a lens of deep thought, deep introspection. We are primarily a live music group, and several of the pieces on this album were premiered not in front of an audience, but in front of a video camera <laughs> streaming the music out to an audience. And so there's this naturally introspective tenor to this album that makes it stand apart from our other albums. I'd love to read some of what you wrote in the program booklet as your introduction, because I think it speaks to this. The daily rituals that ground us and the moments of meditative pause that modern life rarely affords have been top of our mind for us and many of our collaborators of late. This general sense of chaos and information overload that has dominated the last few years has pushed us to explore aspects of our art form even more than usual. Our everyday routines take on heightened meaning when everything else seems unstable and meditating on a sound 
just like meditating on one's breath, can clear the mind and create some space. Space for processing, for connecting, for finding purpose, for simply existing. Each of the pieces on this album has given us a chance to disappear into another world and emerge slightly changed. And it's funny, when I read that, I feel like we're already, quote-unquote, past the pandemic, so I forget what that period was like, but I think partly because I'm not a performing musician. I think it hit you guys a lot harder than it hit most people. What was it like, and can you talk a little bit more about this album as an outgrowth of that? Sure. Like many people, I have vivid memories of early days when the pandemic was becoming a reality, and I remember thinking how much of my own identity is tied to the idea of performing live on stage in front of other people. And I should say Third Coast was really fortunate throughout the worst moments of the pandemic because we had invested in some cameras. We did a lot of live stream performances and we were able to connect with people that way. And some of our friends and colleagues weren't able to do that. But nonetheless, it was a complete paradigm shift for us. We had spent the better part of 15 years traveling around the country and around the world, playing in front of audiences in real time. And to have that taken away from us made us realize how much it has become a part of us. The cool thing about this album for me is that rather than a lament, it's actually the end result of a process that we went through of looking at who we are and what we do and who we reach and how we reach them and and also just what it means to be a musician and whether you're doing it for the audience or you're doing it for yourself or it's some combination of the two. All of this leads to the fact that this is in some ways the hardest album we've ever had to describe of <laughs> what it's all about. Where we had such clear ideas of how these pieces fit together. It's only through intense and sometimes really personal discussion that we came up with the thematic ideas that, that tie the music together. And the title, this idea of breaths, which we heard so clearly in the intro music at the beginning of this podcast, how does that tie them together? Most obvious way of, of the album starting with that amazing sound that Missy wrote in her piece, inhaling and exhaling rhythmically as part of the piece. But we got to thinking about how breath is such an important part of meditation and other wellness practices. And then we also started thinking about just breath as this very uh, human part of life. And the members of Third Coast are on this journey right now. And there's another way of looking at between breaths where you're born and take your first breath and you die and take your last breath. Pretty heavy for a percussion ensemble album. But we were thinking about all of these things. And the idea of meditation probably ties the album together better than anything else because... Each in their own way, the composers, completely independent of one another, use the word meditation in different ways to describe their inspiration for the pieces that they wrote. And so the idea of breath being so tied to meditation practice just made a lot of sense to us. Great. Well, speaking of that first piece of Missy Mazzoli's, Missy is one of the most sought-after composers of our time in 2018. She became one of the first women to receive a main stage commission from the Metropolitan Opera. She's been nominated for a Grammy Award in the Best Contemporary Classical Composition category. She's especially known to Chicago audiences for being the Mead Composer-in-Residence with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra from 2018 to 2021. She was also Composer-in-Residence with Opera Philadelphia from 2012 to 2015. And this is certainly not her first appearance on CD Records. In fact, her music has appeared on an album by Eighth Blackbird and on three different albums by Jennifer Coe for uh, CD. Her piece is titled Millennium Canticles, and the short description is that the piece imagines a group of four people trying to recreate the rituals and stories of human life after a massive rupture 
or Apocalypse. Now, how did this theme come about? Was this what you actually commissioned her for, or did she come up with it, or how did that work? She very much came up with it, something that she didn't initially plan, but what became a triptych of apocalyptic-themed pieces. (laughs) Missy's work is often focused on dark, sometimes the mystical, the supernatural. So we weren't surprised when this was the theme that resonated with her for this work. But the thing that we loved is that the piece, as she says, describes this apocalyptic event. But for her, it's not a pessimistic piece. It's an optimistic piece because the piece imagines that this horrific event has happened and that people are relearning or reimagining the routines and the rituals that make us humans. They're doing it all wrong and they haven't quite got it right. And they're fighting at different times against one another. But nonetheless, they're trying to be more than just animals that are surviving. They're trying to create a culture. And her view, and I completely agree, is that no matter what happens, people will always strive for that. They'll strive for these rituals that lift us above being just beasts trying to live towards something more. How did the piece come about? Did their ghost have a prior relationship with Missy or did this commission just come out of the blue? I've known Missy for years. I moved into an apartment building in grad school and all of the leftover junk mail was addressed to Missy Mazzoli because oh. she <laughs> moved out just as I was moving in. That was the first time I heard her name. <laughs> but then I became just a huge fan of her work, like the other members of Third Coast. We got to know her because we were working with some composers who were good friends of hers, David T. Little and some others. So she started to show up at our shows when we played in New York. We started asking her for a piece a long time ago. And like so many composers who were in such great demand, it took years to finally find time in her schedule. But we were so fortunate that she finally did write a piece for us and her first major work for her percussion quartet as well. Wonderful. So before we get to the program of the work, and I think it is fair to call this a programmatic work, there's a note in the booklet about the instruments used. It says here, Millennium Canticles charts a journey through the dramatic, surreal, and haunting with a soundscape built from wooden planks, drums, trashy metal sounds, resonant metal pipes and tone chimes, a giant lion's roar, and a range of vocalizations expressing suspicion, anger, mourning, and hope. How does this compare to other pieces you've done? Is is the range of instruments wider or different? And how often do you incorporate things like vocalizations in pieces? As far as the vocalizations are concerned, it ties to the whole instrumentation of the piece. Missy was Without being too restrictive of herself, she wanted to imagine that this apocalyptic event has happened. We wouldn't necessarily have beautiful handcrafted five octave marimbas lying around, but planks of wood that are cut to different lengths to make different tones. That made sense. And of course, the human voice is this musical expressive instrument that we'll have no matter what. So I think that her idea in incorporating the voice was both this idea that it will always be an accessible, expressive possibility for humans, but also there is this quasi-liturgical aspect to the piece. And so using the voice just ties into that so naturally. The thing that we love about this piece is that it is melodic and it is harmonic, but it doesn't use these instruments that are so often a part of our melodic and harmonic music the marimba and the vibraphone. We love those instruments, but to be able to make melody and harmony such an important part of the work without using them was actually such a refreshing idea for us. So I think what I hear you saying is there was an intentional primitivism about the choice of instruments and as well as the vocalization. Yeah, absolutely. 
And anytime we're asked to vocalize as percussionists, we embrace it because that's in our DNA. As percussionists, we like to joke that a percussion instrument is any instrument that you ask a percussionist to play and they say yes. There's this idea that if you hit it or strike it or rub it, it's a percussion instrument. Sure, but we've played pieces with harmonicas and recorders and electronic instruments that aren't percussion. So the voice is just another percussion instrument if you want it to be. We always give the caveat to a composer who wants to write for us that we're not trained vocalists. <laughs> and she loved that. She loved the raw idea that, again, this is, if you're looking at this program of the piece, these aren't going to be trained singers. Nonetheless, we did work on it. We got as best we could. <laughs> I, I think it sounds great. The piece is in five movements, and you can find a description of these actually on the Sadie Records website, which I'll give later, webpage devoted to the album. The notes, and we'll discuss this later as well, in the actual album package are pretty short and don't include this fuller explanation of the piece. But I'll just for now read the titles of the five movements, and maybe you can just say a word about what the journey here is. So the movements are Famous Disaster Psalm, The Doubter's Litany, Bloodied Bells, Choir of the Holy Locusts, and Survival Psalm. So what's going on here? For me, the most important thing here is that I think Missy is amazing at titling her pieces. It's an unsung talent. There are composers and all kinds of creators who struggle with this kind of thing. But to me, each of these the piece title itself and the, each of the movements has such an evocative title. Of what I recall, the famous disaster psalm is remembering this cataclysmic event. The doubter's litany is where the vocalization goes from being just breath to being accounting or counting numbers, but they're happening at unexpected times. And sometimes we're whispering the numbers, but sometimes we're inhaling, which creates this very otherworldly sound. It does have this liturgical feeling to it, like we're going through this ritual. The bloodied bells are when we introduce the tone chimes, which are essentially student version of hand bells. So it has the same playing technique and the same sound to it. The choir of the holy locusts is where we hear the lion's roar. Any of our listeners have never seen or heard a lion's roar before. It, it's a drum head with a rope that's attached to the drum head. You create friction along the rope and it makes the drum head rumble. And it very much does sound like an animal. <laughs> And in fact, was originally developed for radio plays as a Foley instrument. When you didn't want to have a line in your recording studio, <laughs> you could approximate the sound with this object. And then in the survival psalm, the survivors of this cataclysmic event are bringing things to a conclusion by coming together. Great. Well, I thought we would hear right from the middle of the piece. This is from the third movement in the middle of the third movement titled Bloodied Bells. And this actually leads up into the first time that Lion's Roar is introduced musically. Can you say a few words about what's going on in this particular section? Sure. You're hearing metal pipes in this very ethereal but beautiful harmonic material, and they're occasionally interspersed by these eruptions of drum sounds. And, and then as the Lion's Roar enters, the pipes very, very gradually fade out, and you're just hearing this sound again and again. really sounds like it's coming from another world. Awesome. Well, let's hear that then. Here is an excerpt from Millennium Canticles by Missy Mazzoli from the movement titled Bloodied Bells as performed on their new album Between Breaths by Third Ghost Percussion.
You just heard an excerpt from Millennium Canticles, a new work by Missy Mazzoli, as performed by Third Coast Percussion on their new album on Sadie Records, Between Breaths. And I should note that that piece was commissioned by Third Coast Percussion with lead support from Elizabeth and Justice Schlichtling and additional support from Bruce Altman, the Third Coast Percussion New Works Fund, and the Maxine and Stuart Frankel Foundation. So it really does take a village to do these things. In fact, I wanted to ask you to explain this commissioning process and how you do get so many different commissioners together to produce this piece. I've been commissioning new works for Percussion Quartet since day one, and we've been at it for actually almost 20 years now. In some ways, it's a natural process of starting being a part of a community of classical musicians who love creating new work and seeing how that work is funded and applying to the same grants and then eventually meeting the audience members and supporters who love being a part of creating new work and then gradually becoming a part of that community. Each composer that we work with might have individuals or organizations that support their work, and we just continue to build this team of people who are as excited as we are about having new music created for the world to listen to. Terrific. And I should note that not only is Bruce Altman one of the members of the consortium that commissioned Millennium Canticles, but he's also a sponsor of this album along with his partner, Bonnie McGrath, who is on Sadie Records' board of directors. They're wonderful people. So now we move from Missy Mazzoli's work to a piece that Third Coast Percussion not only plays, but actually wrote. And indeed, the piece is all about your writing process. Can you, before we talk about the piece in particular, just talk a little bit about Third Coast's evolution from a purely performing ensemble to a performing and composing group? Sure. So each of us individually has been writing music for years. So I started writing works, especially for percussion as a student at Northwestern many, many years ago, and the others had a similar journey. But it was a number of years ago, actually as part of the Ear Taxi Festival that happened here in Chicago, that Augusta Reed Thomas encouraged us to write a piece for that festival. And we were very fortunate because that particular piece, which is called Reaction Yield, came about through a partnership with an interesting organization that was looking at how the sciences and music can be related to one another. And what's important about that is that it led us to a process of composing together that has become really important to us. And it's a process that we used on that first piece, Reaction Yield, on a major work that was our recorded composition debut, Paddle to the Sea, for Sadie Records. has been a part of many other projects and is now a part of this new piece in practice. Basically, what we do is, with four composers working together, how do you make that work? And what we do is we start by coming up with a very specific idea that's going to tie the whole thing together. And that idea can be thematic, or in the case of Paddle to the Sea, it was an actual film that we were scoring. And in the case of this piece, in practice, the idea was just about meditation and really wellness. We started with that idea, and we actually started with the idea of writing a sound meditation, because that's something that we've done recently as part of, for instance, like uh, residencies at universities and sound meditations that we've led for various audiences. But as we got started writing the piece, we realized that that felt a little limiting to us. We wanted more structure. We wanted it to feel like what to us would be a concert work that had a bit more structure and evolution across its form. We dug in deeper and thought about the aspects of our lives that are the things that ground us, the things that make us whole or make us feel like ourselves. 
something as simple and maybe banal as a cup of coffee and something even deeper than that in various instances. That's how the piece came about. And it was a real pleasure to work on. And especially now that we've done so many composition projects together, we're starting to really feel like we know each other as well as composers as we do as performers. Well, since you noted that, I will read from your note where you talk about having included in the piece, quote, simple objects from the steady routines of your lives, things like coffee mugs, cereal bowls, electric toothbrushes. How do you incorporate those into music? Uh, well, luckily we're percussionists, so everything's an instrument, right? <laughs> but there's a beautiful and very fragile sound that coffee cups, teacups, cereal bowls can make if you're lightly tapping them. Actually, starts the first sound that you hear in the piece. An amazing thing about an electric toothbrush, and you can try this at home, is that you can set it in various objects and it creates a sustained sound if it's vibrating against the object. So for instance, if you set it in a ceramic bowl, it creates this light and really interesting sound. And then another instrument that features really prominently is actually an analog synthesizer. That was something that I got really into in the midst of the pandemic. One of the interesting and terrifying things that all touring musicians had to contend with is that when we were quarantined and not able to travel, we had countless hours that were unaccounted for. We're so accustomed to spending hours and hours and hours on planes and in cars and hotels and constantly in transit to get where we're going to play a show. And with so many extra hours in the day, I became really, really restless. And I started to look for other things to... I didn't realize this. In retrospect, I see that I was completely restless and needed things to fill my time. So I got very, very into electronic music and the ways that sounds are, are synthesized and really created from nothing other than electrons uh, moving airwaves at various speeds. And so that ended up becoming incorporated into the piece as an important aspect of, of this piece musically. So in the note, you talk about the different instruments and elements of the piece, and then you say... From these, the piece developed its own sense of direction and purpose, and as with previous co-composed works, different members of the ensemble took over revisions of different sections, shaping the piece into a coherent creation and blending the voices of the four individuals into one musical journey. Can you just say a few more words about how that works in practice? Do you uh, assign you do this part and you other person review that part? Yeah, exactly. One of the things that really works for us as a co-compositional technique is to divide a piece up into different sections. So when we did the piece paddle to the sea, it was very easy because there was this scene in the movie, that scene in the movie, this scene in the movie. And we divided the movie into four parts. Each of us took ownership of a different part. And basically the people to create the first draft and the key ideas in that section. And then people raised their hands and said, oh, I'd like to tweak this or tweak that. And the thing that we try to do with this piece in practice is start that way. So start with a common idea, which we did, this idea of meditation, and then divide the piece into four. And each of us took the lead on a different one of those four sections. And then we do this in a very organic way. We're playing through it. We're playing through this initial first draft idea. And someone always says, you know what? I see what you did here. And okay, I'd like to take this further or change this or change that. And so it becomes very organic how we go through that and revise each other's work. And the thing that we were really working on and that I'm proud of in this piece is that this, rather than being a four movement piece, is a single 17 minute work. The extra work that we did this time that was really a goal for us was to make it feel very much like one thing rather than a four-movement piece. And the work that had to happen for that to go on was basically just a lot of borrowing from one another. So making sure that an idea that maybe originally only showed up in the last 
minute or two of the piece finds its way earlier in the piece so that there's some cohesion and continuity throughout. While it is continuous, the piece is actually divided into two movements, and they are titled Part 1 and Part 2, and I thought we could hear as an excerpt the last couple minutes of Part 1, and to me it feels like the other seven minutes of Part 1 are basically building toward this moment. Is, is that how you conceived it? Yeah, absolutely. We wanted the whole piece to be one long arc, and then we did divide it into two tracks on the album, because just as a listening experience, we thought that that was interesting. And there was this natural grand pause almost exactly halfway through the work, and that's where the break happens between part one and part two. Great. Well, let's hear that then. So here is the last couple of minutes of part one of In Practice by and performed by Third Coast Percussion. just heard a couple of minutes from a new piece by the members of Third Coast Percussion and performed by the ensemble as well, called In Practice from their new album on CD Records titled Between Breaths. And that particular piece was composed with support from the Maxine and Stuart Frankel Foundation and the Julian Family Foundation. And I should note that Laurie Julian has also been a great friend to Sadie Records over the years. Well, if you like what you've been hearing so far, and I certainly hope you do, you can find this album various ways. When it's released on September 8th, which incidentally is my birthday, you will be able to pick it up on all the streaming sites like Apple Music and Spotify and the rest. It'll be available for pre-order before that, both on this Sadie Records website, C-E-D-I-L-L-E records.org. 
as well as on all your favorite online stores such as Archive Music and Amazon and wherever else you like to purchase or stream your music. So hope you'll want to check it out. I thought uh, at this point might be nice to talk a little bit about the album packaging and design. It's a very unusual design involving paper cutouts, correct? That's right. I mentioned earlier that this album, to us, in spite being very clearly connected and very thematic, we're finding it hard to condense the ideas that make up the album into a one-sentence description. (laughs) Maybe more so than any album that we've put out, the artwork felt really important to us. And we didn't want it to be on the nose. Meditation is a big theme of this album. We didn't want an image of a person meditating on the front cover because meditation is an influence on the album. It's not an album of music to necessarily meditate to. (laughs) Um, But we wanted something that was evocative. And we also were really keen on featuring a local artist, a local Chicago artist. So we came across the work of Celine Jiang Schlossberg, an amazing Chicago-based artist who's actually married to Daniel Schlossberg, a pianist who we've had the good fortune of working with a number of times. And we immediately knew we had found the visual representation of this music. She has just a ton of incredible work. That artist, again, is Celine Jiang Schlossberg, and you can find her work on her website, which is Z-E-L-E-N-E-S-C-H-L-O-S-B-E-R-G.com. This work in, in particular called Contemplation felt perfect to us. And it was created in 2020, so it does feel like there's similar themes to those that brought this music to life happening when it did. The title being Contemplation and really about a sort of an inward looking artistic vision. You start looking at the images that are part of the intricate paper cutout that she created, and they're very evocative. Each person who views the artwork can find their own connections between the visual and the music. I wouldn't want to impress those on anyone, but to me it's so vivid and so real, the way that her artwork connects with this music. And the work's titled Contemplation certainly goes with your idea of meditate. Absolutely, yeah. And in fact, the packaging itself, when you talked about condensing things, it's actually not a regular booklet. It's kind of a fold-out, uh, which of course limits the amount of verbiage we can put on there. So as I noted before, if you want to read expanded notes on the pieces, and I would say particularly on the first two pieces, including the full descriptions of the five movements of Missy Mazzoli's programmatic piece, Millennium Canticles, uh, you should go to the Sadie Records website that I gave the address for, C-E-D-I-L-L-E records.org, and you'll find the album right away there, and if you click on the album, you'll be able to read the expanded program notes, which are taken from your actual concert programs of these pieces. The next piece on the album is by Tayande Braxton, who has been writing and performing music under his own name and collaboratively under various group titles since the mid-1990s. Wikipedia lists his musical genres as avant-garde, contemporary classical, and experimental rock. He has an extensive discography, including numerous albums on the renowned Nonesuch label, which actually released two albums last year of his music, one of which... Telekinesis is an 87-piece work for guitars, orchestra, choir, and electronics, which record collector called an astonishing tour de force that gives new meaning to the word epic. 
Uh, before we talk about his piece on this album titled Sunny X, can you just say a few words about uh, TCP's uh, relationship with Braxton? Sure. We have been humongous fans of Tande's music for years. He played in a band called The Battles which is like a math rock band in the early 2000s. And we were big fans of that band. And then uh, when we started writing concert works, we were following them really closely and just looking for an opportunity to work with him. And we reached out a few years ago. His piece eventually became a part of a concert program that we've performed a number of times called Metamorphosis, which includes choreography and some other multimedia elements. The amazing thing about this piece and the timing of this piece is that we're able to work live in our studio with Tyon Day a number of times as he was writing the piece, as he was going through that process. And in a couple of instances, I brought in some of his modular synthesizer and was playing along with us, and those electronic sounds became incorporated into the piece. And then just as he was finishing the piece, we hit March 2020. And so the final piece was delivered to us. And this is an example of a piece that we initially premiered virtually rather than in person. But the piece is a ton of fun to play and truly a tour de force. By the end of it, we're all exhausted and very happy. Great. Well, the expanded notes on the album page that I mentioned we have before refer to Braxton's, quote, experiments with electronic sounds and live percussionists by using idiosyncratic instruments, predominantly set up as meditations on small phrases of non-pitched or partially pitched percussion and mercurial elements The piece explores different permutations of these meditations where the relationship between the acoustic and electronic realms seems to work together, slip around, and contrast. Can you talk a little bit about the instruments, how these experiments work in practice, and also which instruments used you would describe as particularly idiosyncratic? He did this amazing thing that became really the idea that sparked the whole piece. He uses the exact same kind of wood slats that Missy Mazzoli uses in her piece, but we had them stacked up in our studio for a purely practical reason. So if you can imagine steps on stairs, we had wood slats stacked on top of one another with a little bit of space in between so they could resonate, but they looked like a little stair step going up, five or six of them of these wood slats. And we had that done for a different piece we were working on just so that We didn't have them laid out horizontally, taking up an entire table, but rather in a single stack, which allowed room on the table for other instruments we needed. And Tyande walked in, grabbed a mallet, and just ran the mallet straight down that stack. (laughs) And it was one of these really cool, all-too-rare moments where we all just said, oh my gosh, that sound is amazing. (laughs) And he said, I want to build a whole piece around that sound, (laughs) which he did. And I think that led to this idea of, of a meditation on a sound or a meditation on a rhythmic cell. Like many of our composers we work with do now, he went around and recorded the sounds of our instruments and then ended up using those as samples as he was creating the work that he then notated. That one really truly idiosyncratic sound led him to a rhythmic cell that became, it's the first thing that you hear in the piece and one of the last things that you hear in the piece. And it really just like fed the idea of the entire piece. And I think he went to his synthesizer, his modular synthesizer set up and recreated that sound electronically. And so that the electronic sound and the acoustic sound were really truly in dialogue with one another and becoming distinguishable from one another. The notes say the piece, quote, evolved through multiple workshops. Can you explain this process? 
Yeah, we love working closely with the composers that we ask to write for us. And it really doesn't matter if there's someone who's been writing classical music for 60 years, or if there's someone who's maybe an electronic musician who's never written a classical piece before, and everyone in between. We invite them to our studio, and this collaborative process can take on a lot of different forms, but the most typical is we invite them to the studio, either in person or virtually, for a first visit where we just show them a bunch of the instruments. We say, you know, what sort of sounds are you thinking about? Oh, well, here's uh, an instrument you might know and another instrument that you might be less familiar with that we built or had built for us. A second visit, they've generally sketched out some material and we read through it or improvise around different ideas that the composer has. And then a final visit, maybe all or most of the piece is written and we're really learning the piece and having the composer hear it in real time so that there's still time for them to make changes big or small if they want to, having heard the piece in real time rather than just in their imaginations. And what we found is that this process of multiple collaborative sessions with a composer is really key not only to the piece's success, but to our own connection to it. Because we, as an ensemble, feel like we were there from the very beginning, from the moment when the idea first came to this composer's mind, all the way up to the point where they're figuring out how to notate and all the nitty-gritty details in the last 5% of the compositional process. Before we hear an excerpt, is there a particular meaning to this title, Sunny X, that people should be aware of? I don't know. (laughs) I kind of like that I don't know. I feel like we so rarely in third coast percussion perform music with text. And I think that one of the amazing things that music without text can do is be an abstract art form that connects with different people in different ways. I really love a piece like Missy's, which is programmatic and has a little bit more direction for a listener in terms of what they're hearing. But I also love a piece where there's a lot of mystery to it and it can mean different things to different people. All right, well, let's hear an excerpt. I've chosen a couple minutes toward the end of the work and a passage that does use some pitched instruments as well as some unusual sounds that harken back to the rather quirky beginning of the work. What would you like to say about this section? I love this section and I love how it starts to lead towards the end and I just encourage the listener to find the track and and hear how it ends as well because it's all just a big explosion to the end of this piece. Great. All right, let's hear that then. Here is a couple of minutes of Sunny X by Tayande Braxton as performed by Third Coast Percussion.
You just heard an excerpt from a new piece by Tayonde Braxton titled Sunny X as performed on their new album Between Breaths by Third Coast Percussion. And this piece also had funders. In this case, Sunny X was commissioned for Third Coast Percussion by the Sewanee Music Festival, George Mason University, and Carnegie Hall with additional support from Third Coast Percussion's New Works Fund. Is there anything we should know about this New Works Fund, by the way? It is an incredible means for Third Coast Percussion to create new work with with composers. And if anyone is interested in being a part of this New Works Fund, you can contact us. My email is david at thirdcoastpercussion.com. Well, given all the unusual percussion and electronic sounds used in the last piece, this might be a good time to talk about how the album was produced. The credits list an unusually high number of producers and engineers involved. So it lists as producers Elaine Martone and Colin Campbell, as well as Tyande Braxton for his particular piece. It lists as session engineers Sadie's Bill Malone, as well as Dan Nichols, Mark Alatog, and Jonathan Lackey. Under editing and mixing, we have Bill Malone, as well as Tyande Braxton and Seth Manchester, both for Braxton's piece. And it also has a mastering engineer in Joe Lambert. Can you talk about how the album was recorded, edited, mixed, etc., and what roles these various people had in the processes, as well as their ghost's own role in all this? Sure. Again, with this album being a product of its time, we recorded it in various different stages. So Tyande's piece was done, as I mentioned, in early 2020, and everything was up in the air in 2020. We knew that we really wanted to record the piece. Tyande was really interested in us recording the piece. And so we just booked time in the recording studio to get it done, not immediately concerned about what album it would fit on, but just making sure that while we had it in our hands and sounding great, that we got a great recording of it. And therefore, Tyande took ownership of editing it and mixing it with his own engineer, Seth, who ended up being great to work with. Later, as we moved back into the recording studio, we found time to record Gemma Peacock's piece, which uh, we'll get to later in this podcast. But Gemma's piece is like another piece on this album, Ayanna Wood's piece, one that we've been playing for years and been meaning to record for years. And so Gemma's piece got recorded as part of a different recording session for her past album. The various times that pieces were recorded meant, on the one hand, that there were various teams involved with recording. And on the other hand, that we really felt like we wanted an outside third party to take all of the recordings and make sure that they really fit together as an album. And that's what our mastering engineer, Joe Lambert, did so beautifully. Great. Well, the next piece is by a Chicago composer, Ayanna Woods, who is a Grammy-nominated performer, composer, and band leader from Chicago. Her music explores the spaces between acoustic and electronic, traditional and esoteric, wildly improvisational, and mathematically rigorous. Collaborator across genres and forms, her work spans new music, theater, film scoring, arranging, songwriting, and improvisation. And in your notes, it says that she was a participant in Third Coast Percussion's 2017 Currents Creative partnership from which the piece on this album, Triple Point, emerged. Can you talk about this creative partnership? Sure. We were so fortunate that we got to know Ayana through the Currents Creative Partnership because we got to know her earlier in her career before she was 
too busy to work with us. <laughs> the Currents Creative Partnership is a call for scores that Third Coast Percussion does every year. And we ask anyone who is interested in the opportunity to send us some of their music. Recording scores if they have them, letters of recommendation if they choose to. The program is really aimed at composers who are early in their career or perhaps are musicians but have never written a classical music piece or maybe they're classical composers but they've never had an opportunity to write a percussion piece. We love it when it's a new opportunity for someone. Once we receive these call for scores, we pick three composers a year and work very closely with them in a collaborative process, exactly like the collaborative process we do with other composers. They come to our studio, we workshop their ideas, and then we premiere their piece at the end of the season. So Ayana's piece was created through this partnership. It's a piece that we've ended up playing a number of times over the years, and it's become a really important part of the new percussion repertoire. It gets played by university percussion ensembles all over the country all the time. And so we thought it would be a perfect fit for this album. And, and because it's a piece that we were fortunate to be a big part of creating, we wanted to be sure that we had our own stamp on it as a recording. We're thrilled that it's a part of this, this album. And was this Currents Creative Partnership how you first got to know Ayana? It is, yeah. We met Ayana because she applied for the Currents Creative Partnership, and we chose her to be a part of it. And that's how the Peace Triple Point was created. And she's uh, quite young, isn't she? Compared to me, yeah. <laughs> the amazing thing about Ayana is that I think when she applied for this partnership, she had maybe recently completed her undergraduate work at Yale and had returned to Chicago to start her musical adventure here. And as listeners can tell from the, the biography that you read, she's just had more and more cool opportunities come up. She composed music for a production with Manual Cinema a few years ago. She was a part of this Grammy-nominated album with composer Ted Hearn a number of years ago. She's just always got cool new projects that she's working on. Well, her piece on the album, Triple Point, is a piece about changing states. Can you talk a little bit about this triple point concept on which it's based? Sure. So this piece, we really felt like it would be a good fit on the album, and we were trying to figure out what the connection was. And then we went back to her program note, and she said it's a meditation on this idea of a triple point, which is a state where matter can be in limbo between solid, liquid, and gas simultaneously. And there's this restlessness to that idea that permeates the piece. And how are these changing states expressed musically? The thing that is most obvious to me in listening to it and performing it is this incredible metric ambiguity that can happen, especially at the end of the piece. I invite the listener to attempt to tap your toe for the last two minutes of this piece and try and figure out where the beat is because Ayana shifts it by one sixteenth note, so like one sixteenth of a measure <laughs> several times. And it actually makes the piece insanely difficult to play live. We've played this piece at least a dozen times live, and I don't think we've ever done it exactly the way that we want to. <laughs> Maybe another reason that it was so important to us to record the work so we make sure we got it right. <laughs> Well, as you mentioned that as with the last piece, uh, quote, took shape in workshops, was the process different in Ayana's case than it was in uh, Tayande's? It was actually very, very similar. I remember vividly we started with sounds. Uh, she was interested in a combination of keyboard instruments and handheld sounds. So there's an instrument called a Waldteufel, which is uh, roughly translated a forced devil, <laughs> which is hard to describe, but creates this otherworldly groaning sound. Another instrument called a wind wand, which creates a wind sound, which all of these things are played while the keyboard percussion instruments are played. We workshopped that early on. And then she came up with a groove, which became the heart of the piece. We worked on that the second time. Third time, the piece was done, and we were just putting the finishing touches on it. 
Great. Well, I thought we would hear the first half or almost the first half of the piece. It's only about a five-minute piece. Anything you want to say about this part before we hear it? I think you can really hear in this excerpt the way that the piece emerges from a very free introduction of the sounds of the piece, almost seamlessly into the rhythmic drive, the groove that carries us through to the end of the piece. Great. Well, let's hear that then. So this is the first couple minutes of Triple Point by Iona Woods, as performed once again by Third Coast Percussion. You just heard a couple of minutes of a piece by Ayanna Woods titled Triple Point as performed by Third Coast Percussion on their new Sadie Records album Between Breaths. And once again, I remind you that you can hear this album when it's released on September 8 on all the great streaming sites out there like Spotify, Apple Music, and the high-end ones as well. We're on all the high-def sites. Of course, you can also get the album as a download, and you can get the album physically on the Sadie Records website, C-E-D-I-L-L-E records.org. If you're hearing this before September 8, you can pre-order it. After September 8, it'll be shipped to you. And the same is true of sites like Amazon.com and Archive Music or wherever you like to get your music. Well, the final work on the album is by a composer from New Zealand named Gemma Peacock, who has a particular interest in interdisciplinary projects. Her first album, titled Waves and Lines, which was a 2019 release on New Amsterdam, sets poems by Afghan women 
She's a co-founder of the Kind of Kings Composer Collective, which is focused on amplifying and advocating for underheard voices in classical music. And I think this piece would be a good example of amplifying underheard voices. The piece is titled Death Wish. It's a piece for four players on two marimbas, and you describe it, David, as, quote, a staple, even though it's obviously not that old, as a staple of Third Coast Percussion's repertoire. How long have you been playing it? When exactly was it written, and was it originally created for you? This is the only piece on this album that was not originally created for us. Gemma wrote the piece in 2016 or 2017, and shortly thereafter, we found it from a recording that we found, I think, on YouTube, online, or something like that. And we just fell in love with it. Third Coast Percussion uses the marimba in so much of our work, and we love the instrument so much. And we immediately heard this piece as helping to realize the potential of that instrument. There's been a lot of great music written for marimba, solo marimba, an ensemble on one or two or more marimbas. But this piece just stood out to us as being very dramatic, very, very expressive, And so, yeah, we started performing it in, I think, 2017 or 2018, and it's been a part of many of our touring projects since. And is this Third Coast's first association with the composer? That was how we came to know Gemma, and of course we fell in love with her music, and we've since commissioned her. She wrote an amazing big work for us, 30-minute work, called The Threshold We Cross with Closed Eyes, which was a multimedia work co-commissioned by the Library of Congress. Yeah, Jim must become a close friend and regular collaborator. And how common is it to have two players uh, on the same marimba? Well, we try and make it as common as we can because it's so practical. (laughs) You know, as I mentioned, we're, we're touring all the time, and our listeners can probably imagine the challenge of finding one five-octave marimba in any city in America or around the world, let alone two or three or four. (laughs) For instance, there are marimba quartets that call for four marimbas, one per player. Honestly, is a real practical limitation for how many times the piece can be played. This piece fits very neatly on two marimbas, one that's five-octave, which means the full range of the marimba, and another that's a four and a third, which is a more compressed range of the marimba. And we can find those two instruments pretty much anywhere we go in the world. And so not only is this piece beautifully expressive, but also it has the good fortune of being a piece that is practical for us to play many different places around the world as well. Can you talk about Gemma's inspiration for the piece and specifically about its dedicatee, what we should know about her? Sure. So the piece came about after Gemma saw a documentary about Maori women who were the victims of sexual violence. And there was one person in particular who spoke about a death wish that she developed as part of her trauma from this experience. What was so important to us in Third Coast Percussion about that is that the four members of Third Coast Percussion are all men, and this was a movie about sexual violence against women. And one of the things that is most important to us about classical music is that it is an exercise in empathy. We are very often playing the music of someone else. Another composer has written a work, and we are charged with bringing it to life. No matter who the composer is, that becomes important. When that composer is someone whose experience is very different from your own, it becomes even more important. And in this case, when the inspiration is so different than the experiences that we've lived, it becomes important and it becomes a responsibility for us to put ourselves in that place and in that mindset, which is harrowing and terrifying and that no one ever wants to experience. 
by putting ourselves in that place, I think we become more awake, more aware, and more empathetic. And can you just say a word about its dedicatee and her name? So one of the subjects of the documentary that inspired Gemma Peacock to write this piece was Hinawarangi Kohu Morgan. Gemma includes a Maori saying in the program note for the piece, which translates roughly to, a problem is solved by continuing to find solutions. Excellent. As with the previous piece, we're going to hear the first couple of minutes. Is there anything you want to say about this before we listen? One of the incredible things musically that's happening in this piece is that Gemma is writing out metrically uh, tremolos on the marimba. A marimba, as an instrument, you strike and the sound resonates and then dies away naturally. And one of the ways to create sort of an illusion of a sustained sound is by multiple iterations, by striking the instrument again and again and again, which is called a tremolo or a roll. In this piece, Gemma does this really cool thing where rather than having it be an unmetered roll, in other words, just play as fast as you can for as long as you can, (laughs) she writes it out as a rhythm. There's this constant blurring of where the uh, pulse is, and I think you would particularly hear that at the beginning of the piece. Great. Well, let's be sure to listen for that as we hear the first couple of minutes of Death Wish by Gemma Peacock as performed by Third Coast Percussion. You just heard the first couple of minutes of Death Wish by Gemma Peacock from Third Coast Percussion's new album on Sadie Records, Between Breaths, and in fact that is the concluding work. I note that the four composers represented on the album besides Third Coast Percussion itself include three women, two composers of color, both African-American in this case, 
and a composer from a country not traditionally associated with Western classical music in the case of New Zealand. Now, this is not unusual for a Third Coast percussion album, or concert for that matter. Can you talk about the importance of diverse voices for your art? Sure. As a percussion ensemble, we are building our repertoire. You know, there's not centuries of percussion quartet music as there is for string quartet and some other chamber music formations. It's become so important to us to make sure that the classical music that we're creating today reflects the world that we live in today. To us, that means, as I was saying earlier, finding not only composers who inspire us, but composers who have a different background, a different experience, a different lived experience than we have. So that looks to things like racial diversity, uh, gender diversity, diversity of background and experience and musical influence. That speaks to a value that we all hold in our organization. And also, it just creates continually inspiring musical experiences for us. When we're commissioning composers, if they were all composers who were of the exact same background as us, I think it would get really boring really fast. (laughs) Whether we're working with someone like Missy, who is just an absolute powerhouse in the classical music world, who's writing operas and symphonies, or working with someone like Ayanna Woods, who's equally at home in the classical music world or the electronic or hip-hop worlds, we're constantly pushing ourselves to find new musical experiences for ourselves and therefore for our audiences. And I think it's also fair to say you tend to commission across genres. I was thinking of people like Devante Hines and Jay Lynn from previous albums. How many composers would you say wrote their first quote-unquote classical piece for Third Coast Percussion? That's a good question. Um, Devante definitely wrote his first classical piece for us because he said that multiple times, which we were really proud of because that's something he'd wanted to do for years. Jay Lynn, we were among the first. Kronos Quartet had commissioned her for a string quartet a year or two before us. There's a number of the current creative partners that we've worked with over the years where we've been their first classical piece. We just absolutely love that. And we've now had experiences and very successful ones that allow us to say, hey, you don't have to know how to read music to write music for third coast percussion. If you are an expert musician or a musician that we find inspiring, we'll figure out a way that we can play your music. And that's on us. And let's just start with your creativity and your musical vision. In whatever way we need to, we can help bring it to life. And I think that has opened us up to an entire world of music creators that otherwise we wouldn't have access to. And as I said, it it makes things continually exciting and inspiring for us. Well, besides the diverse voices and theme of meditation and breaths, what else should people take away from hearing the album as a whole? For us, the process of creating this album was cathartic and in some ways closing a chapter. That's something that anyone can relate to because we've all had seasons of our lives and the album, as we were setting out, just even with the order of the pieces, it takes you on a journey from beginning to end. I find a real sense of catharsis in listening to the whole thing and I hope it connects with other people in the same way. So what's new and upcoming for Third Coast Percussion? Well, in 2025, Third Coast will celebrate its 20th anniversary. We've got all kinds of exciting plans in the works for that, uh, which we'll be announcing shortly. But in the more short term, we've got a very exciting season of concerts coming up. We'll be playing music from this album all over the country and all over the world as uh, part of various touring projects that we have going. We also have a brand new concerto that was written for us by Clarice Assad. Clarice will be joining us on stage for that piece. And so we've got a number of performances of that, which will premiere in just about a month from now. 
and we'll be traveling overseas again, which we're really excited about. We've, we've had some overseas travel since COVID, but we've got extended tours in Switzerland, the Netherlands, the UK, and Poland, where we'll be playing music from this album and some other projects as well. So it's going to be an exciting year and all leading towards this big anniversary that we've got coming up. Great. Finally, we always end these podcasts with a question about Chicago. So in this case, I want to ask how the percussion and new music scene in Chicago has evolved during Third Coast's almost 20 years now existence as an ensemble. And are the opportunities for collaborations greater now than they were when you started? That's a great question. When Third Coast was getting started in 2005, I think it was in some ways the beginning of a certain era of classical music in Chicago. Eighth Blackbird had been around for a few years, but other groups were starting Ensemble Del Niente. ICE was just getting started at the time, which was an organization that originally was split its time between Chicago and New York. Spectral Quartet got started shortly thereafter. And so we really benefited from this incredible energy around new music that was happening right when we got started. In many ways, Chicago has only become a better and better place to be a musician, particularly a place to be based as a musician, because it's a major metropolitan area with a huge audience for classical music and new music, where you can actually make a living as an artist, which is not the case in some other major metropolitan areas, just because of the cost of living. I think that that lends itself to a really collaborative spirit, because it doesn't feel like we're all fighting all the time for the same handful of opportunities, but that we can make our own opportunities. Yeah, I look back at our almost 20 years of collaboration and the number of Chicago artists that we've been able to work with, Missy Mazzoli, Glenn Kochi, Augusta Reed Thomas, Hubbard Street Dance Chicago, Voices of Change, on and on and on. Yeah, it speaks to the way that we as a musical community in Chicago really support one another and one another's work. I would just mention that Sadie Records is a crucial part of that. The support that you all give to Chicago musicians is not something that we ever take for granted. Well, I very much appreciate that, and we certainly don't take you for granted. Third Ghost has been such an amazing addition to the CD roster, not just because you won a Grammy with your very first album for us. We're so glad to have you and this album. The album is Between Breaths. The ensemble is Third Coast Percussion, and my guest on this podcast has been David Skidmore. Thanks for having me, Jim. And thank all of you for listening.